Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. So we're, we're kind of trying to get you to picture yourself uh, like a little child waiting, eagerly waiting and longing for Christmas morning to come, for someone to come, for someone to arrive, to visit. As we're going to see today, Christmas is a divine visitation. Christmas is a divine visitation where Christ has come to this earth for a reason. Christmas is a divine visitation where Christ has come to this earth for a reason, and we want to be ready for him. And so with that in mind, if you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you're kind of new to your Bible, the Bible's in two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 1 is where I want to read from verses 67 to 79. This is the word of God. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So let me give you the backstory leading up to these verses. Where we are in the Bible here, the Old Testament has been a foretelling of a king that would be coming, promise after promise after promise of a Messiah that would be coming. And it's been 400 years now of silence, darkness, waiting, longing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Now, Luke, before we get to Christ's coming, starts by telling the story of an older couple. Their names, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are old, advanced in years, and they're a righteous and blameless couple. So they're living faithfully to the Lord. And yet, Elizabeth finds herself barren. She's unable to bear children. And so the story goes, Zechariah, as a priest, goes into the temple one day And an angel appears to him, Gabriel, and says, don't fear, I want to tell you, Zechariah, that you, your wife, you'll bear a son, and you're to name him John. Now, Zechariah's response 
is not just doubtful, he's actually in disbelief. He doesn't believe what the angel of the Lord has said. I mean, you can imagine him. They're old. They're advanced in years. We're we're way too old. This can't happen. There's no way. To which Gabriel replies in Luke chapter 1, verse 20, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So nine months of silence. Can you imagine that? Zechariah, his mouth was shut. He couldn't speak for nine months. Now, most of you wives, I would guess, are trying to get your husbands to talk more, not less, right? Although, on the other hand, suppose there might be some benefits uh, to this. But nine months of silence. I mean, I think it's hard enough for us to have nine minutes of silence, let alone nine months of silence. And so just a quick little application challenge for us during this Christmas season, maybe for the rest of this month leading up to Christmas, try to spend nine minutes of silence with God each day. Think about what that did to Zechariah. And what it can do for us to reorient our hearts around Christ this Christmas. Just be in silence just for nine minutes a day. Praying, seeking God. Nine months of silence. And finally, the silence is broken. In the immediate context here, in the preceding verses, they've now had their baby, John. And it's now the eighth day, and according to Jewish custom, this was the day of circumcision, this was the day of dedication, this was the day of celebration. And so you can imagine the family, friends gathered around together for this special time, and they're they're witnessing, right, this whole special child that's been born, right? An angel of the Lord has said there's something about this child. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah, And so they're all gathered around, and Zechariah in this moment is filled with the Spirit, and what are the first words out of his mouth? Look at verse 67 to 68. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So Zechariah breaks the silence by blessing the Lord. He breaks the silence by blessing the Lord. But he says very little about his own son, John, and a whole lot about God's son, Jesus. In fact, he can hardly contain himself. Zechariah is now bursting with praise and now with confidence and assurance about what God would do. Look at verse 68 again. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So blessed be the Lord God of Israel. In other words, praise be to God for, here's the reason why, he has visited his people. He has visited his people. He has visited us. That's the main point that Zechariah will bring out again at the end of this song. It's the main point. God has visited us. That's essentially what Christmas is all about. God has visited us. He has come to us through his son, Jesus. He's visited us. 
Notice the word is in the past tense. God has visited us. He has visited us. Zechariah was so confident, so filled with assurance. As he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's prophesying now and saying, it's going to happen. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to visit us to fulfill all of his promises. Christ will come to this earth. This will be a divine visitation. It's going to happen for a reason. Now, this word visit is not a social visit. It's not like grandma and grandpa coming on over for a nice visit at Christmas time with Christmas cookies and music and a lot of joy and cheer and sentimental warm feelings. That's not what's going on here. This is not a social visit. No, God visited us for a distinct purpose, a divine purpose. God has visited us to redeem us. He's come to redeem us, to save us. That's the point of Christmas. We needed to be rescued and redeemed. So what does it mean to be redeemed? The word redeem means to provide a payment in order to free someone. It's what Christ came to do for us. He was the payment for our sin, to free us from our slavery to sin. Reminded me of a story back when uh, we lived in Kentucky, Uh, This was a December cold day, not as cold as it gets here in Iowa, but cold nonetheless, and it was kind of slick outside, and and I was driving uh, kind of close to my house and about 25-mile-per-hour area there in residential streets, and there was a car coming towards me, and I noticed it started to swerve right towards me, so my natural reaction was to move towards the, the side of the road, but in doing so, I went right over a mailbox. (laughs) And I remember just getting out, and the other driver got out, and of course the the driver didn't say, you know what, that was all my fault, right? And of course I wasn't saying, yeah, yeah, that that was my fault. But but I bet the owner of the house was thinking, somebody's got to pay for this, right? Somebody's got to pay for this. And and somebody's got to pay for our sin, right? And Christ has come to do just that. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So in the fullness of time, at God's appointed time, all of redemptive history was moving and marching toward this moment where God would send forth his son to redeem us. To redeem those who were under the law is what it says. What does that mean? We are all bound to obey the law of God, the word of God. We are to love and obey the Lord Jesus Christ by being holy as God is holy and obeying his commandments. And we are under the law in the sense that we are bound to obey, and yet we cannot. And we, and we deal with, with guilt and shame because when it comes to obedience to God, we fail all the time. Or on the flip side, 
If we're having a good day, we're filled with pride and judgmentalism towards others because we are living in obedience, so to speak, to God. And so we're, we're under the, the curse of the law. The law shows us the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. In short, it reveals our sin. I don't know how many of you just raise your hand. Have you started watching Christmas movies already at home? Yeah, I know our family has as well. Uh, so one of my favorites is Home Alone. Uh, that's one that we watch every year. Um, this, this year, I, I saw a really uh, a deeper message in this movie. And I know it's a fun movie. Not trying to get all preacher on you here, but uh, there's a deeper message going on in this movie. And, and, and my favorite scene is probably one that you would never think, but it's the scene where this older man and Kevin are, are there in the church, right? You can go ahead and show the picture there. So they're, they're gathered there, and they're the only ones there besides this little choir that's practicing and singing, Oh, Holy Night. And, and as they're talking, uh, the older man says, Hey, you, you've been a good boy this year? And Kevin's like, well, I'm kind of a pain. I've been a pain lately to my family. And, and this guy says, well, this is the place to go when you feel bad about yourself. And, and as we kind of continue their little conversation here, it's not only Kevin who's feeling bad about himself, it's this older man who's feeling bad about himself. You see, they have a lot in common. They're both feeling bad about themselves. They both have fears, as you recall, sharing with one another what they're afraid of. And they're both going to church feeling guilty, seemingly seeking someone who can help them feel better about what's going on in here. And I wonder if you can relate today. Do you feel the guilt of your sin? Do you feel the shame inside? Are you like this older man who maybe has an estranged relationship with one of your children or just family conflict around this time of the year? We all deal with the ramifications, the consequences of our sin. So listen, sin is the reason for the season. That's, that's why Jesus came, because we're all sinners and we need a redeemer. That's why God has come to visit this earth. He's on a rescue mission. Galatians 3.13 Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So at the cross is where Christ took the punishment we deserved for our sin. He took the curse away by dying on the cross. That's what Christmas is all about. Not only that, not only has he come to redeem us, he raised up a horn of salvation for us. Look at verses 68 and 69 again. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. So what is this horn that Zechariah is speaking of? Maybe some of you uh, think of a musical instrument like a trumpet, a horn, or maybe one of those uh, little cornucopias on your uh, dinner table at Thanksgiving, shape of a horn. That's not what he's talking about, obviously. This is the horn of a wild animal, all right, like an ox or a bighorn sheep. And it made me think uh, back to when I was a kid. Uh, my dad, I remember so many nights 
We only had like four channels back then. You guys remember that? And he had to get up and actually change them right there at the, the TV. And uh, one of the favorite shows my dad would always watch was Nature Channel. All right? and, and so because he loved it, we too had to love it. Right? And I just remember him turning on the TV, turning it to Nature Channel. I was like, oh, Dad, not nature again. Really? But now I'm kind of thankful as I look back on those days, because it was an opportunity just to share some moments with my, my dad and my, my twin brother usually, just fond memories of watching cheetahs run and pounce on their prey and other things like that. But this, this horn all right, of, a, of a wild ox, it represents strength and, and power and victory in battle. In Psalm 18, verse 2, uh, David writes, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So David is saying, God is, is for me. He's going to use his power to protect me and defeat my greatest enemies. He will be victorious. That's what this promised Messiah would come to do. He's a powerful, powerful Savior. Look at verses 70 to 75. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so if you're... If you're reading along, you'll see that this is chock full of Old Testament references. I mean, he mentions David, he mentions the prophets, he mentions Abraham. And notice the words promised and covenant and oath and the repetition of the words saved and delivered and enemies. And so what Zechariah is prophesying here is that God would visit us through his son Jesus, that he would be our promised deliverer to save us from our enemies. No doubt, Zechariah couldn't have imagined all of what that meant, and neither can we, because this includes not only Christ's first coming, but his second coming. More than likely, Zechariah, he was hoping for political freedom from the Romans. Much like the Israelites were freed from the Egyptians long ago. You see, this word visit literally means to look into something in order to do something about it. To look into something in order to do something about it. So this is a visitation that's an outside intervention. That's what God does. God had done that in Egypt, and he would do it again. After 400 years of slavery and silence, at just the right time, God came and delivered his people just like he did in the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, Verses 7 and 8 says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So it's as if Zechariah is saying, God did it then. He'll do it again. And so now it's been 400 years of silence and darkness and God's people have been waiting and longing and at just the right time, God remembers his people and he visits them. By the way, the word or the name Zechariah means God remembers. God remembers. And so he's come again to deliver his people. Only this time, this time, the deliverance would deal with our greatest problem. 
our greatest problem. You see, only by dealing with our sin problem can real change begin to happen. So he's come to redeem us from our sin and be the horn of our salvation and to conquer all of our enemies. And all this would be set in motion by this little baby that Zachariah is holding in his arms. And he finally makes mention of him in verses 76 and 77. Look there with me. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So just two verses about John. But even in these two short verses, it's still all about Jesus. Did you see that? For John the Baptist, as we know, would prepare the way for Jesus to come. He himself said, I am not the Christ, I am just the voice. In John chapter 1, 22 to 23, it says, so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John's mission in life was getting God's people ready for their Redeemer. And I couldn't help but think that's our job as well. That's our calling as Christians to point people to Jesus, especially during this Christmas season. So many people are open to the message during the holiday season. A recent survey, uh, take a look at the screen here, uh, said this. These are the top five times people are open to matters of faith. So number five, after the birth of a baby. Number four, after a natural disaster. Number three, after a major national crisis. Number two, during the Easter season. And number one time that people are most open to matters of faith is during the Christmas season. So during this time of the year, I know that we can go to great lengths to uh, prepare our homes for Christmas. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's be more intentional about preparing our hearts for Christmas. Let's be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us and point people to Jesus this Christmas. Then in verses 78 to 79, Zechariah closes his song by coming full circle. Look at it with me. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He comes full circle here, and I want to focus on this phrase, the sunrise shall visit us from on high. So there's that word visit again. He used it back in verse 68. Now he uses it here in verse 78. The sunrise or the day spring shall visit us from on high. Christ will visit us like a sunrise. The word literally means the dawning or the dawn when the sun rises up out of the east. So not only does God break the silence, he breaks through the darkness by sending his son, Jesus. And we see this theme all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. In Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Likewise, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, Isaiah writes, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 
We see it in scripture. We also see it in our familiar Christmas carols. We sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, today. And one of the verses says this, O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. We see it again in O Holy Night. This is one of my favorite lyrics. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks the new and glorious morn. And we're going to sing a song at the close of our service called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, which starts like this, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery in the Dawning, in the Dawning of the King. And so it got me thinking, how is Jesus' coming like a sunrise? How is this long-awaited visitation like a sunrise? I think there are three ways at least. Number one, people miss the sunrise because they're asleep. Some of you are yawning. I caught you right now. People miss the sunrise because they're asleep. Just like the sunrise, many people are spiritually asleep, just kind of waiting in darkness and unaware of Jesus and why he came. Look what Jesus says in Luke 19, verse 44. He's coming into Jerusalem. He's drawing into Jerusalem, and he's sobbing. What he says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known in this day the things that made for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, and you did not know the day of your visitation. Think about the times recorded in Scripture where Jesus Christ is crying at Lazarus' death, and here, as he's coming in Jerusalem, he's sobbing. You missed it! You didn't recognize me. You didn't know this was the time of my visitation. You missed the sunrise. And guys, there's a real danger this Christmas that we would miss Jesus himself. Don't miss him. Don't miss him this Christmas. He's come to this earth to redeem you, to save you from your sins, to deliver you from your greatest enemies. So listen, if he's opening up your eyes today, to the crucified and risen Christ, repent of your sin and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And then be like Zechariah. Praise him. Praise him for visiting us and redeeming us. So number one, how is Jesus' coming like a sunrise? People miss the sunrise because they're asleep. Secondly, it's often dark before the dawn finally comes. It's often dark before the dawn finally comes. Have you noticed this? Obviously, before the sun rises, it's dark outside, but the same is true spiritually. Darkness is a picture of the world. We're waiting for the light to dawn, just like the people of God back in Isaiah's time. In Isaiah chapter 8, uh, verse 8, or verse 22 says, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness. It's true then, it's true now. We live in a very dark time. Sometimes it seems like it will last forever, this darkness. And we can grow weary in the waiting, can't we? Some of you know exactly what I mean. It feels like darkness around you, maybe internally, you're dealing with the darkness of depression, maybe within the context of your family, um, 
changes, maybe loved ones who have passed, maybe conflict. I don't know what it is for you, but you know that this darkness and this waiting, you can grow weary in the waiting. And the longer we wait, the easier it is to lose hope. The Jews waited 400 years for the sun to rise and for the Messiah to come. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And we sing that with them. O come, come back, come back, Jesus. We long for you to return to make things right. And so we wait. And yet God does something in the waiting, doesn't he? Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, is what Isaiah says. God does something in the waiting, just like he did in Zechariah's heart, he can do for us. And so, how is Jesus coming like a sunrise? People miss the sunrise because they're asleep. It's often dark before the dawn comes. And number three, but the wait is worth it. The wait is worth it. When the sunrise finally breaks through, it is beautiful, isn't it? It was worth the wait. I don't know how many weeks ago it was, I was uh, captured by this sunrise here in, in Humboldt and just took a picture there, and it was just a reminder for me, his mercies are new every morning, aren't they? And it's a reminder that the wait is worth it. The wait is worth it because the sunrise banishes the darkness and we can see that there's a new day, that there's a new beginning coming. The sunrise is both a present reality and also a future hope. Just as the sun certainly will rise each day, the sun will rise again on that last day and Christ will come again. He will visit us this time for the final time. And this time no one will miss it. Everyone will see it, and those who trusted in him will be welcomed into his kingdom forever. I love how Andrew Peterson puts it, and let me end with this quote. So I'm waiting for the king to come galloping out of the clouds while the angel armies sing. He's going to gather his people in the shadow of his wings, and I'm going to raise my voice with a song of the redeemed, because all this darkness is a small and passing thing. Let's pray together. Father, we long for that day when your son Jesus returns again. Like little children waiting with anticipation for the morning to come, we long for you to, to rise out of the east and come on the clouds as king reigning over all things. Until that day, Father, I pray that our hearts would trust in our Redeemer. You have come to visit us for a divine purpose, to redeem us from our sin, to take away our guilt and shame, and to live with peace, and to live in the light of your presence. And so, Father, I pray that as we come into this Christmas season now, you would help us to slow down and be silent before you, knowing that you are God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.